Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. the sixth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, and we have a great show for you today. Most of our guests this season are congenital heart defect survivors, but today we're in for a treat. Many of us in the heart community come to view those who treat our children like family. The nurses, doctors, and the techs often know us by face and name. After a time, those of us with children with critical congenital heart defects, children who need surgery early and sometimes multiple procedures, get to know the people who care for our children too. It's not uncommon for families to send cards or letters to those who help our children to live a quality life. But how does a cardiologist seize the day? Today we'll find out how one pediatric cardiologist seizes the day. Today's show is Seizing the Day with Dr. Wilson Lamb. Dr. Wilson Lamb is a board-certified cardiologist who specializes in adult congenital cardiology and rhythm disorders. A native Houstonian, he graduated from Rice University and obtained his entire medical training at Baylor College of Medicine, completing residency in combined internal medicine and pediatrics and fellowships in adult cardiovascular diseases, pediatric cardiology, and clinical cardiac electrophysiology. Although he manages various cardiac issues, his primary focus is caring for adult patients with congenital heart disease who also have rhythm disorders, such as palpitations, passing out, or sudden death. He is experienced in antiarrhythmic medications, cardiac implantable electronic devices, such as pacemakers and defibrillators, and catheter ablations for challenging rhythm issues. He has presented at local national conferences. Other interests include medical education and use of technology in novel arenas. Dr. Lamb serves as Assistant Professor and Associate Program Director for the Internal Medicine and Residency Program at Baylor College of Medicine. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Dr. Lamb. Thank you for inviting me, Anna. I thoroughly enjoyed the presentation that you had at the Adult Congenital Heart Association Houston Regional Conference, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Our theme this season is Carpe Diem, Seizing the Day, and I'm wondering, how do you seize the day? When I think about seizing the day, I think the key component is really staying active, staying busy as a doer in whatever aspect of life I'm at. And oftentimes it's patient care, but as you mentioned, sometimes it's medical education or even healthcare advocacy. There's always the opportunity to help others, and really working to help with the greater good is what helps me to seize the day. 
And you've proved that by showing up and helping out at that conference where you were talking to parents and you were talking to survivors, adult survivors, which is your population. What got you interested in working with adults with congenital heart defects? Thinking back into medical school, some of the most fascinating lectures was how the heart developed when they were in the mother's womb. And knowing that there were certain conditions as they developed that could afflict babies and then later on would require corrective procedures to attempt and palliate and live a great quality of life, that really got me interested in cardiology. It wasn't until later that I learned about the various aspects of interventions and electrophysiology that became the next horizons that a lot of these patients face. And after that, I really knew that this arena was something that I wanted to be a part of in affecting the future. Well, it seems like electrophysiology is a fairly recent invention. How long has it been around and how long have you been involved with it? Sure. So electrophysiology dates back probably to the late 1800s where the EKG was coming along with its inventors like Dr. Eindhoven. And later on, it only became an interventional electrophysiology component, probably in the mid and early 1980s. So we're only about three decades into catheter ablations and a couple of decades into device management strategies such as today's modern-day pacemakers and defibrillators. The time that I became interested in it was really learning about things such as the EKG, and figuring out how do the electrical signals and conduction go through the heart. Once you know how a normal heart system's conduction system works, we also then learn about all the ways that it can kind of go haywire. And <laughs> knowing yeah. that there are ways that we can help out to fix that has just really become an important component in taking care of congenital heart patients. So it was in the 1980s that it started to become interventional. When did you become an electrophysiologist? So I became an electrophysiologist just recently as of 2013 and 2014. I did my training and then took the electrophysiology boards recently to become board certified. Wow. So while you were in school, you were actually watching some of these devices become smaller and smaller and new devices become available. Yes. Some of the most recent devices are for monitoring are smaller than a pinky finger. Some of the other types of pacemakers that are implanted now, you can hold in the palm of your hand and are actually wireless. And that's some of the new cutting-edge technology that is becoming more mainstream. Yeah, I was actually doing some research because I was concerned that my son might need a pacemaker. So I was doing some research on pacemakers. And I saw that one of the concerns with having a pacemaker is that the wires or the leads can become corrupted and that can cause a problem, even if the pacemaker itself is okay. So this wireless technology is just amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. Wires tend to have a lot of problems because they are moving parts and they are man-made parts. And so you can imagine that if a heart is beating anywhere from 60 to 120, 150 beats per minute, those wires are making that many moves per minute, per hour, per year, per decade, mm -hmm. and that wear and tear can actually lead to the dysfunction that you've talked about. Not to mention, patients can actually develop infections for a variety of reasons, and should an infection get latched onto a component in the bloodstream, getting those wires out of the body can be a little bit more of an ordeal. Wow. 
so many things that we just really don't think about. I think we've come such a long way, but I think that the development of nanotechnology and the fact that they're miniaturizing everything so much more, it's a very exciting time to be in this kind of field. And I have a feeling you're going to be one of the forerunners for helping us to help adults with congenital heart defects live longer with these implantable devices. Absolutely. I think every three to five years, there is something that's new and cutting edge that if we don't keep current, we're going to find ourselves living in the early 2000s, but we do have to adapt with the times. Absolutely. So I imagine that you're extremely busy just keeping up with all the new innovations that are going on. And I'm sure that you have a number of different kinds of obstacles that you have to overcome in your day-to-day work. What is the biggest challenge that you have in seizing the day and keeping up with all this work that you do? One of the toughest things to do is balancing out the time. You are right that in a very busy job and covering a lot of different sites, there's patient care, there's medical education, there are a ton of different appointments that can get in the way. But some of the things that have made life much easier is working as part of a great team. And I really have to thank the Texas Children's Hospital Cardiology and my team of the Texas Adult Congenital Heart Center, Drs. Franklin, Dr. Ermis, and Dr. Parekh, as well as our physician assistant, Allison, because I think our collaborative team approach really helps to optimize and to streamline and make us much more efficient in terms of the day-to-day progress. Wow. I'm so glad that you say that because that is the exact feeling that I get whenever I go to any of these pediatric cardiology conferences. I really get the feeling it's a team approach. I'm so impressed with how the doctors collaborate with one another and how they work so seamlessly with their teams. Absolutely. I think the team approach allows us to individually see patients and take that ownership, but there's always that extra bit of confidence by having a consensus opinion and bouncing around the most challenging cases. And I think that type of expertise is very difficult to find unless you're in a large academic center that just really gets the most challenging cases and a lot of them to see and to work with. That's one of the ways that we're so lucky being in the humongous state of Texas is that we have a number of these fabulous institutions right here in the state of Texas. So it makes collaboration a little bit easier, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think the ability to have citywide conferences and journal clubs to learn about the most current technology and studies that have been published, I think it's a great way for collaboration and sharing knowledge. And so we really enjoy the collaboration with all of our sister institutions across the Texas Medical Center and the state, really. Yeah, we live in a fabulous state. And I feel very blessed that my son was in a state that had state-of-the-art technology to help him and to provide the surgeries that he needed. And they've been able to stay a step ahead of where he needs them to be. So I feel that he's been very blessed in that way. Dr. Lamb, do you think that your choice of a career, especially given the fact that you've trained to work in internal medicine, which might be very possibly less stressful than working with adults for with congenital heart defects, do you feel that that gives you a different perspective on life? I think it does. I think that we treat patients a little differently when we counsel them. I think that knowing that patients are going to grow up and we want them to live life. We want them to mature. We want to tell them how they should approach activity. We talk to women about how they approach the possibility of pregnancy, and we do want to be cognizant of the fact that many of the complex congenitals still have increased morbidity and mortality, and that means we have to be ready to discuss things that are scary, such as end-of-life care. Just recently, I was at the funeral of a patient who had lived many decades longer than was anticipated, and 
each step of the way, I think as much as we were teaching him about what we knew about the current state of medical care, he was teaching us by how he was living his life. Wow, I love that. I think we do learn so much from each other. I think you doctors have so much to share with us, but I love it when the doctors are open to learning from their patients too. And so many of your patients are actually pioneers. They're the first generation to survive some of the congenital heart defects. Indeed. We are seeing the new chapters being written right in front of us. We don't have the decades and thousands and tens of thousands of patients to know what the best strategy is. So oftentimes we have to go off extrapolated data and in a different patient population that doesn't always make sense. At the end of the day, optimizing quality of life, I think, is one of the most important things and figuring out how do we make patients' lives better. I love that. That's awesome. Okay, we have to take a quick commercial break. I can't believe how quick the time has gone. We've already finished the first segment. But don't leave yet, listeners, because coming up next, we're going to talk to Dr. Lamb about the biggest challenges he faces in working with adults with congenital heart defects and what the adults can do to maximize their health when we come back after this commercial break. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www www.babyheartspress.com Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is Seizing the Day with Dr. Wilson Lamb. Dr. Wilson Lamb is a cardiologist who specializes in the care of adults with congenital heart defects, and he just finished telling us what he does to seize the day. He is a very busy doctor. He goes from clinic to clinic, and he keeps on top of all of the latest research and he has some challenges in that regard as far as balancing his time. And I think that's a very reasonable challenge for him to have to have. My next question is, it seems strange to consider a person in his 30s or 40s or maybe even 50s as a pioneer. And yet, so many of your patients are in the first decade of survivors of their congenital heart defects, given the fact that many complex congenital heart defects have only had successful surgeries in the last couple of decades. So what's the biggest challenge you face in dealing with these kind of adults where you don't have decades of data to help you to know what to do next? I think the biggest challenge is trying to figure out and negotiate what the best strategy is. We know what the available technology is in other arenas, such as coronary artery disease and heart attacks. We know about weak heart muscles or cardiomyopathy, and we know about rhythm disorders, and we have novel techniques of imaging and taking pictures of the heart, trying to utilize all that information and say, we have a different type of heart anatomy that's been subject to different forces over a long period of time. Do we think that this is going to work? Keeping up with the latest research and trying to apply it to the patient to make sure it's something that they want is really key. And sometimes it's perfectly fine to observe and watch and hold a pat hand, if you would, and just watch good physiology and a heart do its thing without intervening too much. The enemy of good is better. Right, right. I do believe that the right treatment for the right time, there are certain types of conditions where being super vigilant and being 
extra ahead of the ball game can help to prevent future complications. But in the realm of electrophysiology, many times we find ourselves treating for the appropriate level. So a pacemaker oftentimes is really for symptoms when somebody has too slow of a heart rate. And if somebody is truly asymptomatic, it's really tough for me to reach for an invasive procedure and put them through something if I can't make them feel better. Oftentimes, even with simple medical management and taking pills, some people might not think that's a harm, but to many of us, taking something once, twice, or even three times a day does take a certain amount of effort and a lot of concentration to do it correctly. So I want to know whether or not that medicine is still having a good effect and an optimal effect in improving my patient's quality of life. And I'm hoping that each physician and healthcare provider, when they see their patients too, they consider that. Oftentimes we don't take as much time to really consider if the medicine is having as true a benefit as it would in a different situation that it was tested and published and got its approval for. I think that one of the biggest challenges you must face is that transition. Do you have any advice to help parents to prepare their children? Sure. A lot of programs are now looking at a transition schedule and starting at a young age, starting with the more basic and simpler questions as, what's the name of the condition? What's the name of the surgery? What's the name of your doctor? And slowly working it up every few months, every year with different visits taking on something new, whether it's what's the medication list, how often should I be checking in, what are the phone numbers, and eventually keeping that record, whether it's on an electronic USB drive or some easy, fast access paper in the wallet. I think a lot of that is a very helpful reminder, especially if patients find themselves in other healthcare settings or in a car accident or unconscious for some reason where they can't always provide that information to another healthcare professional. That was something that always concerned me, Dr. Lamb. What if I was in a car accident driving my son somewhere and he was hurt and I was unable to respond? So from a very young age, he had a medical alert bracelet. And when he was too little to wear a bracelet, I put it on the diaper bag. <laughs> Just so that, there was <laughs> that made perfect sense. Actually, that is, that is one of the wonderful ways to stay plugged in into the system. Absolutely. Well, and then when I took him off to college, he decided to go to college in New York City. So I did exactly That's a long that. ways away. A long ways away. So we made a thumb drive with his latest echo, with all of his surgical notes. And his cardiologist was very instrumental in helping us to determine what to put on that thumb drive. And thankfully, he never had to access it. But I knew that the cardiologist in New York had that just in case they needed it. And I think that's very reassuring because open levels of communication and old records especially can be exceedingly helpful in planning out and figuring out what the most likely afflictions, what the next step might be, and what things look like 3, 5, 10, 20 years ago. It's great to have that trajectory to know what things look like before. It's really interesting that you said that. I think that's great. So do you think that's part of what adults need to do to keep their heart healthy, holding on to those records and having that continuity of care? Is there something else that they need to be doing to keep their hearts healthy? Sure. I think that on a global scale, the same things that help congenital hearts are the same things that help structurally normal hearts. And Staying active is key. Diet and exercise is important, and we have to do our best in Houston, in Texas, and in the United States, really making sure that we are combating the pandemic of obesity. Eating right, 
doing something towards fitness and whether or not it's just increasing activity, increasing walking, I think a lot of that just really helps go in the right direction. After just staying active, I think the next big step is staying involved in one's community, with family and friends, because we're only learning now that mental health is actually so key to a person's physical health, that you could take two identical conditions and the patient who is more anxious, more depressed, and having more stressors will actually do worse than the person who has a stronger mental health. And lastly, really staying plugged in into the system. With those old records, having the accessibility to contact their healthcare provider when minor symptoms are early before they become major symptoms. I think that's really key to keep open lines of communication. And that's why I tend to make sure that my patients have an email contact as well as a number to get plugged in and stay plugged in. I love that. All of that is great advice. And you're right. Whether you're born with a heart defect or whether your heart is perfectly normal, staying active. And I like what you said about staying fit mentally. I think that's really important. And one of the things at the Houston conference was we had a social worker who got up and talked about the importance of mental health and how even seeing a counselor doing meditation, doing yoga, any of those things might help somebody to be healthier. And I'm sure that helps their heart as well. Absolutely. Mental stress leads to more physical stress and the heart is no stranger to being a victim to stressors. Mm -hmm. Well, all of this is really important information. We have to take another quick commercial break, but don't leave yet, listeners. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Dr. Lamb about what's new in the area of antiarrhythmic drugs and devices and how some of these innovations might help adults with congenital heart defects to seize the day. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today's show is Seizing the Day with Dr. Wilson Lamb, a cardiologist who specializes in the care of adults with congenital heart defects. I have so enjoyed talking with you, Dr. Lamb. You are very energetic and you have so much enthusiasm and joy for what you do. It really comes out when I'm talking to you. And I just went to this amazing conference in Miami that talked all about innovations in the field of pediatric cardiology. And boy, was that an eye-opener for me. I'm wondering if you can tell me what kind of new devices there are in pediatric cardiology or what kind of new antiarrhythmic drugs and how can some of our adult patients benefit from them? Sure, Anna. I think that the 21st century is exploding with technology and with advances right before our eyes. It's not but every six months that there is a national conference that a new medication is coming out either to help with rhythm or very closely tied with a cousin, heart failure. And we are finding that so much of heart failure can lead to abnormal rhythms of the heart, and abnormal rhythms of the heart can play a vicious circle and cause more heart failure. So just this year, there were a couple of medications that were released to help improve 
heart failure symptoms and survival in the adult population. I oftentimes find that medications once released in the adult population might take a little bit longer, between 5-10 years, to trickle down into pediatric cardiology before it starts to become a really a mainstay as they test it in the pediatric population. Same is true of some antiarrhythmics that are good to control ventricular tachycardia, and atrial arrhythmias, such as atrial fibrillation. I'm using them on some of our younger patients, some young adults with congenital heart disease, as well as sometimes the adolescent that may need medication switch. So those are some of the key developments. In the realm of devices, we are finding that the monitors are getting much smaller. So where we used to have to put in something the size of a USB to monitor up to three years of the heartbeats, we can now do it as a five-minute or less injectable procedure to monitor each of the heartbeats. There are pacemakers now that are wireless that can be screwed into the heart, and there are defibrillators that can actually be placed underneath the skin, and there isn't a single defibrillator lead even touching the heart. Many of the pacemaker devices are actually MRI compatible. We looked in the early 2009-2010 range, and we may be able to do MRIs where previously we weren't able to do so. And lastly, some of these inherited conditions have genetic testing and genetic screens that are becoming a little bit more useful in terms of detecting other family members that may have a condition that leaves them susceptible. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I actually had a guest on a couple of seasons ago whose mother died from sudden cardiac death, and he had a heart attack on his wedding night. And thankfully, his wife performed CPR on him, and they were able to get him to the hospital and save his life, and his uncle was still alive. And because of his uncle, they were able to determine the gene that was faulty. And so now he started this nonprofit organization to find other people who have this gene, the same gene that he has that can lead to sudden cardiac death. And they're able to stabilize him and monitor him. And he's leading an amazing life. And now he's reaching out and helping people all over the globe. But I really do think that genetics and what is being done in genetics is pretty amazing. It is incredible. And I think having that ability to go looking for things that leave us susceptible and to help prevent sudden cardiac death, a lot of that is really moving in the right direction and good advances of technology. Okay, so now I'm going to have you look into your crystal ball and tell us, based on your experience and your expertise, what do you think is the wave of the future for pediatric cardiology? I think that, as we've talked about earlier, things are getting smaller, and I do foresee in the next 10 to 15 years that these wireless devices, hopefully they can all communicate and essentially there would be no wires that would be left in the heart and that would leave the body less susceptible to the wear and tear or the wires less susceptible to the wear and tear and less risk of the extraction type process of getting those out of the body. Catheter ablation today requires us still to do a minimally invasive procedure of putting an IV in, usually through the legs, and riding up a wire catheter up to the heart in order to burn areas that we feel are suspect, that are scar areas that can lead to pathologic palpitations and rhythms. But there are definitely researchers who are looking about doing these type of ablations not too different from gamma knife surgery in the brain, where we can potentially focus energy to do the same ablations from sources outside of the body without having to probe a catheter inside the body. 
Lastly, I do think that it's not but every few weeks we read about a new receptor or a new type of chemotherapy because our scientists are just getting better and better at focusing their technology on a very specific pathway. Same is true of heart medicines, that as we learn more about the receptors in the heart and we can tailor our therapy more specific, I think that tomorrow's drugs will be cleaner medications that have a desired effect and hopefully reduce side effects and really get the desired improvement in the quality of life without causing as much trouble. This almost sounds like Star Trek, you know? It does. <laughs> it's pretty amazing to think that you would be able to, quote-unquote, burn pathways or take care of faulty pathways outside the body, not even have to be inside doing that. That's really amazing. Indeed. I think some of the leading experts in the world are already looking at their animal studies and moving forward on trying to make this process a little bit more of Star Trek calculations rather than the manual technical expertise. So if it's as difficult as I imagine it is for you doctors to keep up with all of the amazing advances that are being done, how are we parents and patients supposed to keep up? What do you recommend for us to be able to keep ourselves informed and know what's best for ourselves, know what questions to ask our doctors when we see them? Sure. I think the first thing is absolutely motivation. I think it takes a lot of proactivity to really take ownership of the condition and not letting it diminish the quality of life. After that, I really do think that being in support groups and social media have done a phenomenal job of connecting those with congenital heart disease or other types of medical conditions. And having the ability to blog and communicate and go through life experience, I think those are definitely amazing abilities to this generation. There was this old proverb that said, shared joy is double joy, shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And I think that being able to do that on social media allows us to really get the benefit of what's up and coming and what are the advances in the research realm as well. I just love that. That's so true. And I can definitely tell you from having been in the pediatric cardiology arena 20 years, 20 plus years, the friends of mine who have been able to share their sorrow, it helps all of us. I mean, it can be a little bit depressing and you don't want to have too much of it. But when we are there to support one another, it really does empower us. And likewise, when we share the joyful things, oh my goodness, my son got a black belt or oh look, my little girl became a ballerina, was able to dance with the other children. It empowers us that way too. And Absolutely. we see that our children can lead a more normal life. I think that you doctors and we parents and, of course, the survivors themselves, we all want the same thing, and that is to have a good quality of life. And it's a challenge to have that balance, going back to what you said at the very beginning, finding that balance that you need of being aware of all of the different red flags that might present themselves, and yet giving your children the opportunity, or yourself if you're an adult, giving yourself the opportunity to try something even if you might fail but just to experience new things and do what you were saying at the top of the show. Stay physically fit, stay mentally fit, and make the most out of every day. Absolutely, absolutely. I do think one last thing in that there are advocacy groups such as the Adult Congenital Heart Association that do such a wonderful job of everything that you've mentioned, helping us keep up with social media, with research, with other patients who have similar conditions. And I think that would be probably the easiest one-stop shop for patients with congenital heart disease as their children are getting older to get plugged in into the system. 
I love that advice. And I'm a member of the ACHA, so I agree with you. They are on top of everything as far as advocacy and also education for the adults who are growing up, but also for the parents. They let us parents into the organization as well. And I think they're producing some excellent materials. And look, I met you at the conference that they sponsored. So thank you so much again for coming on this show. Oh, my gosh. this has It's been my pleasure. This uh-huh. has been fabulous. Well, thank you. And I hope you'll come on again sometime in the future and talk more about electrophysiology and some of the changes because we could do a whole show just about that. I hear you, and I am looking forward to it. Okay, that sounds great. Well, that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. 